Hello and welcome back to the Digital Sociology Podcast with me, Chris Till. So it's been a really long time since I've put out any of uh, any episodes in this series, and that's uh, for a few reasons, really. Um, uh, mostly just because of time. Um, it, it's very hard to um, for me to find time to. Uh, partly to record, but mostly to 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 edit these things, um, especially as um, as is the case for many people, I spend most of my time in front of a computer with work, and then it doesn't always seem that enticing to uh, sit down and 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 do uh, more computer work editing afterwards. Um, also, um, uh, the, uh, all the the problems and the stresses of the COVID nineteen pandemic kind of got in the way as well. Um, I also, in addition to that, I've I kind of had a, I started up a, a another podcast, the, uh, the the social theory podcast, uh, uh, as well. So that took took some time away as well. But uh, I was always very keen to get back to doing some more digital sociology episodes because I think um, a lot of the uh, all of the people that I've spoken to so far have. Uh, presented some really fascinating work and I think I've had some good chats with them. Uh, so I'm really uh, glad to be back with with a few more episodes which I'll be putting out over the next few weeks. But this, um, uh, uh, all of the episodes after this one have been recorded quite recently um, but this first one is one that's been sat on my hard drive for quite a long time and that's a real shame and I feel kind of, uh, uh, I feel quite bad that um, Mark who I spoke to for this one uh, gave me gave up his time to speak to me uh, a couple of years ago and hasn't seen any results from it yet. So uh, apologies to Mark um, uh, for that. Um, but uh, I recorded this uh, in 2019 after I'd met Mark at a at a conference. Uh, so uh, listening back to it uh, when I was editing it just um, uh, just recently. Um, it's it doesn't it doesn't sound out of date. Um, it, if anything, actually, it maybe sounds um, more relevant uh, to the current context because what we're talking about is this notion of hidden youth, which is people who uh, spend all or most of their time um, at home, uh, usually not interacting with other people physically, but very much connected to other people uh, and uh, uh, and other aspects of culture online. And of course, that's something which um, almost all of us have experienced uh, much more of, um, or have got much closer to that situation uh, in the last year or year and a half or so. So it's interesting to uh, reflect on on that experience that, that many of us have had uh, with uh, through the lens of Mark's uh, fascinating research, his his kind of empirical data and, and his analysis uh, of that situation, um, and. I think what that that kind of reflection from this vantage point shows is that Mark was really on the money in in his uh, his analysis and his position that the the um, the situation of those hidden youth is not necessarily so different and not necessarily so kind of problematic at least not in the ways that people were suggesting um, very much at the time as we might think. Um, so yeah, so I hope you enjoy this interview um, and uh, th this chat I had with Mark. 
Uh, I'll be back at the end to tell you how you can get in touch, but I'm you know, very keen to hear hear your thoughts on anything we're talking about and, and the podcast in general. And uh, hope, hopefully see you again um, over the next few weeks for some more uh, episodes of the Digital Sociology Podcast. So uh, over to my chat with Mark Wong. Hi again. Uh, so today I'm talking to um, Mark Wong um, and uh, Mark is a lecturer in social and public policy at the University of Glasgow. So hi, Mark. Hi, hi everyone. Hi, uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for talking to me. Um, it's, uh, it's great to have you on. Uh, we met a few months ago, I think, earlier this year, 2019, didn't we, at a, at a conference? Yeah. Um, and I saw you speak there and I was, uh, I was very taken with your work. So I'm uh, really looking forward to thanks. this chat. Thanks, Chris. Uh, no, no, no problem. Um, so um, your um, your work, uh, I thought, would be really interesting for the podcast because it is it's definitely very kind of digitally uh, engaged. And I think uh, the work you were talking about at the conference was to do with um, some work that's both kind of uh, comparative in terms of um, uh, focused on sort of uh, uh, Scotland and, and Hong Kong, I think, um, yeah, but also has right. this really interesting um, kind of focus on, I think, what you what you call uh, hidden or withdrawn youth. Is that right? Yep. Yes, yes. I prefer hidden youth. Hidden, right. Okay, yeah. Mm. Um, and so could you tell me a bit about what um, what this group of people is, and then we'll get on to the kind of the digital aspect of it uh, soon. Yeah. So my research is to focus is on young people uh, who are called hidden youth or sometimes called socially withdrawn youth. Uh, these are groups of people who physically shut themselves in the, in the bedroom for a protracted period of time. Uh, you could be spend in some cases, could be spending months or even years uh, unending uh, inside the bedroom. And that's really sort of key characteristics about this group of young people who are sort of physically sort of shutting themselves in society and uh, inside the bedroom um, and sort of the common perception uh, of this group of young people is that they're very isolated from society they're very reclusive and sort of self-isolating themselves in this world inside the bedroom by themselves and cutting off from society so, so that's the sort of common perception about hidden youth and in my work specifically as you say Chris, sort of highlighting the, some of the digital aspects um, of this group of, of the, this group of young people's daily lives. Um, my, my research was a qualitative study with hidden youth in Hong Kong and Scotland. Um, and these young people have been, uh, the young people I talked to, they have been hidden in a bedroom from about three months and in some cases up to four years. Um, and, you know, for example, one of the Scottish young person I spoke to, so we, we had a face-to-face -face interview and he said it was the first time that he got out of his bedroom in the past year and uh, just for the interview. And I think that that really sort of highlights the sort of um, the physical versus the digital worlds of engagement. And my research really looked into sort of their digital uh, interactions as well as their attachments to online communities inside the bedroom, unlike what sort of lots of other existing research which emphasized their sort of cutting off from society. Whereas my research is stating that they are sort of physically inside the bedroom, but still very much connected to people through digital means. Yeah, so that's that's fascinating. So there's um, uh, th this is kind of a situation which I assume um, it's, it's not an area I, I personally uh, mm. know about, but my, my assumption would be that the, the, the assumptions that, that other people make is that this is definitely a, a kind of a problematic situation. These people are, are kind of cut mm. off, isolated, yeah. 
um, a, a kind of almost out of, outside of society uh, in, in a way. And so um, does that tend to be the, the, the assumptions that are made uh, about this group of people, that they are, that they, they are uh, in, some kind of, um, in some kind of trouble uh, because of this situation? Yes, absolutely. And I think that sort of very much ties into sort of a little bit of a short history um, of the studies about hidden youth also. It really began about late in the late 1990s um, in Japan, particularly amongst uh, uh, researchers and scholars in the in the psychiatric community. So this has been very much in the at the start. Um, when it was sort of sort of uh, emerged in the in the in the academic field as a concept, it very much been pitched as as almost a prerequisite or a type of uh, sort of mental health disorder. So that's sort of the background of it that it started, and then it started spreading really quickly in rest of East Asia. So it's very much talked about sort of in the news media, by politicians, by policymakers, and there's been some sort of uh, either sort of clinical psychology services or in Hong, in the case of Hong Kong, there are some so, sort of social work, youth work type of services, particularly for hidden young people as well. So I would say sort of this phenomenon or this issue is much more widely recognized in East Asia, but in fact, my research was the first one that studied this phenomenon in the UK in a Scottish context. And there have been a few studies uh, outside of East Asia, um, such as in Spain, in France, and also uh, some in the Middle East, um, but there were sort of, you know, uh, one or two in each of these contexts. Um, um, but they're all sort of more on the clinical psychology side, where pitching this problem uh, as a mental health disorder, whereas the Hong Kong literature, more in the social work side, um, a sort of social work discipline, uh, then pitched this as a problem for social work to tackle. So interventions, services or programs that sort of tackle this problem. Whereas my research come more from a sort of sociological uh, understanding, so less geared towards seeing this as a problematic issue. And I think there was actually benefits in that in the end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so... How, what does that kind of sociological angle uh, bring to an understanding here? So you've already kind of uh, briefly mentioned that um, what you've identified um, is that it's um, for these groups of people, it's not necessarily, although they are might be physically um, yeah. um, uh, isolated uh, in a sense, they are, um, because of digital technologies, they are actually engaged in other ways. Um, so how does that kind of, that's that sort of situation that those dual elements of that situation play out sociologically do you think yeah so that's really interesting aspect actually came up from the field work itself so actually before i conducted the field work i didn't sort of go into looking specifically just for digital interactions i was more interested in sort of understanding the daily lived experiences of these young people and listening to them and sort of them describing what their lives are like, how they feel about their sort of sense of sociality or sense of connectedness. And here is where the digital connections really came out, where the young people talked about um, interacting with people online uh, up to sort of hundreds or dozens, at least dozens of people every day for eight to 10 hours a day. And sort of this sense of connectedness really sort of came out, especially through these digital means. And that's when I then 
referring to some of the digital sociological literature, where highlighting social relationships and interactions are more intertwined with technologies in the digital age. And that really then helped highlight that this sort of almost paradoxical uh, or what I sort of call sort of contrasting levels of sociality of these young people, that they might be sort of in terms of physical interactions are very disconnected. Uh, but in the digital world, they're highly connected to other people. And I think that sort of thinking about the relationship between the two was also very interesting. Uh, through in, in, in this study was that that through the findings, it really highlighted how lots of young people became especially attached to online interactions inside the bedroom, almost as a result or as a consequence of feeling marginalized and pushed out by the society. And these are talking about more sort of traditional face-to-face uh, -face ways of interactions, whether that's sort of interacting with peers, uh, friends, uh, in the communities, but also other sort of more bigger uh, sort of playing of social roles, for example, like being employed, uh, being in education, that they feel so marginalized and alienated from these sort of so, uh, social opportunities um, that they're turning to the online world to find a sense of solace, also find a sense of solidarity with people online and using that uh, almost as a replacement um, for the disconnections that they feel in the physical world. So would you see that as a kind of a push from those 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 other social factors, like you said, the kind of that disconnection or that kind of um, uh, the, the kind of precarity in that kind of situation, yeah. rather than a pull from the digital? I think the pull and the push was something that I was sort of really intrigued by mm. uh, as well that I sort of you know really looked at sort of the, on the on the one hand that a lot of these young people talked about the sort of appealing factor of the of the sort of digital world yeah. where sort of I think there's sort of five recurrent themes on the data that say they find that the digital world is more exciting um, offer more variety uh, and it's more convenient uh, more fluid and also uh, much more uh, dynamic in terms of that sort of they find a lot of these sort of digital ways of engaging with people a, a lot more interesting and uh, appealing to them than sort of physical interactions. So uh, especially things like a lot of young people talked about these sort of uh, massively multiplayer online gaming worlds where there's a lot of opportunities of interactions, a lot of ongoings and happenings that sort of you know keep them interested. Um, engaging in the digital world in ways that they don't find in the real world. Um, but on the other hand, it's that precarity side also that the, uh, a lot of young people and the participants talked about sort of feeling uh, disconnected uh, from, from sort of the opportunities in society, such as employment, such as education. Um, that, and there was also a very strong sense of pessimism uh, towards their own future. So they, they felt very much because they're so marginalized in society, and a lot of them sort of describe things as like, there's no point of go looking for work because if they find work, it might only just be a short term, fixed term contract, zero hour contract, all these sort of, you know, 
very sort of structural condition about the labor market that's becoming increasingly precarious that's felt by the young people themselves. And that's why there's like there's sort of they just sort of saying that, well, there's no point of going out and there's no point of you know going to more education for more education and more training, particularly I think at the time of the interview was sort of more immediate after the finance, global financial crisis. These interviews were done in about 2014, 2015. So they were sort of saying a lot of things like there's no jobs out there. Um, uh, there's there's lots of these job cuts, etc. So that's as a young person, especially a lot of them coming with low qualification, coming out of school with low qualifications, they felt like there's just the opportunity structure is up against them, um, and that sort of sense of alienation and sort of almost disparity about there's no way out in the future then pushed them into this. Um, more engagement in the online world also. So I think it's fascinating about this pushing and pulling at the same time. And it's more than just a, I think some, some, some people suggest that this hidden phenomenon uh, could be you know, you know, related to sort of online addictions, uh, internet addiction, et cetera. So there's certainly sort of perhaps a component of that where there's you know, the constant new streams of ways of interacting with people, not only just through gaming, but a lot of young people talk about uh, social media, uh, online forums, uh, e even things like uh, forums about programming. Uh, in the Hong Kong case, there are sort of forums about um, uh, sub around subcultures like Japanese anime, and also things like Skype, TeamSpeak, Twitch.tv, YouTube. All of these sort of you know lots of wide variety of platforms that they find uh, in the online world that almost uh, as a result. Uh, of that precarity that they experience in the labor market and in education, and therefore becoming attached to these online interactions. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, you know that that range of um, the different platforms, of course, that are available. Did you find that the, there was? Um, did uh, people in this group tend to be drawn to particular kinds, or um, you know, whether that's social media or, or, mm. or forums or, or or streaming sites or or and um, um, kind of um, MMORPGs, I think. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah. Or w was it a kind of combination of those things or jumping between them? Or, uh, yeah, w was there any particular connection to, the, uh, to any, any one or other of those? Yeah, I, I think it, it, jumping between them is a, a great way of of of, uh, of describing the sort of what's really happening in, in for these young people who are sort of you know technically locking themselves in a bedroom, but actually jumping between all these digital platforms. They, uh, some young people talk about um, that they could be watching something uh, stream in a form of streaming platform, playing an MMO game at the a game at the same time, and being on Skype with five or six people who are on right. the, on his team of, of the game, and also at the same time looking at forums about the games, et cetera. So I think gaming was a sort of big component for some young people, but some young people also talk about other things, sort of the, mainly about these sort of forums also that sort of comes out and uh, using between those things. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, what's, you know, a really valuable aspect of this research is that is that connection you're making between those kind of um, those broader kind of social um, uh, structural mm. issues, like you say, around uh, economy uh, and uh, employment and education and these kinds of things. Um, and um, it's not really surprising uh, in that context, I suppose, that the, the, these these kinds of phenomena are are occurring. But um, yeah. do you see um, 
because there's been quite a lot of mainstream media discussion around. Uh, I've, I've read several articles about um, the idea of a shut-in generation of, uh, of kind of particularly younger people who are spending a lot of time, for instance, perhaps kind of playing video games or, or engaging online and being able to kind of just order in food from Deliveroo and um, and um, <laughs> uh, you know uh, stream movies from Netflix rather than go to the cinema and all this kind of thing. Uh, mm. In many cases, these articles are fairly kind of kind of uh, uh, silly in some ways. But do you see this? this group of people who obviously are um but i suppose by definition outside of the norm if someone who stays stays in uh, in their house or apartment for uh, several years at a time do you see this as part of a, a broader kind of a, a, a broader phenomenon uh, potentially amongst younger people or a cultural kind of movement in which people are being more more isolated or, or more more uh, physically disconnected and and more uh, engaged on their own physically, but um, uh, connected online. Is, is is there a broader thing going on here, do you think? I think so as well. And I think, you know, this question is definitely bang on the money about, you know, the impact of technology on our social connections and almost in some way about our human nature or humanity. Is this the future of of humans mm. that we might just be connected to each other through online and digital devices and never see each other face to face anymore? Um, I think that's a really interesting question for us to, you know, question um, and also to look at as academics as well as for, for, for sort of more public imagination about this. Because I think from the, from the at least from the study that I did in the, in the research, that the young people didn't really see as much of a choice or sort of a distinction between sort of going outside in the sort of so-called physical world or sometimes in sort of, you know, forum chat and real world. Mm. Um, that, that, but they actually see that that's just a, a different way of interacting with people. That they see that interacting with people online is just as sort of equally enjoyable or equally fulfilling and also equally sort of um, sustainable in terms of uh, quality of the friendships that they develop online or relationships that they develop online are just as valid and useful as the ones that are outside. And I think that really says a lot more about our sort of, I guess, society in the digital age is that technology has been become so integrated into everything we do. Um, and I think there's certainly some research, such as from Nancy Bam, uh, as well as uh, uh, Rainy Wellman, for example, sort of highlighting the fact that people who are sort of on, uh, have a lot more online connections are also likely to have more physical interactions um, in face-to-face -face context. And I think that those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. The hidden youth aspect is interesting because they are out of the norm where, we're, you know, a, a lot of people now, you, you know, we might be in a lot of you know, face-to-face -face contact as well as the digital interactions, but this hidden youth group is very much only very much very strongly active in the digital world and not as active in the physical world. But I think that's why I, I, at the start I, I mentioned that I don't think socially withdrawn or sort of shut in uh, generation as a useful concept because it doesn't take into account that actually these digital interactions is also an equally valid and valuable type of interactions because then they're, they're especially through the interviews uh, accounts that I got from the young people they don't see themselves as cutting cutting off from society they don't see themselves as not being uh, connected and in fact uh, uh, one young person, for example, said that she actively 
went online to be connected to people because she felt lonely inside the bedroom. So that digital interactions actually help them to feel connected. So in some way, withdrawn and shut in is not necessarily useful to think, you know, to describe their actual experiences as well, the perceptions of what they're doing. And I think that says a lot about our current, you know, current state um, of, of, of people and sort of more general population thinking that actually, you know, things like screen time, things like, you know, being engaged in social media doesn't mean that we're cutting off from society. Yeah, exactly. It would, I mean, really, uh, if we think about it, it would seem strange to con- to define someone as withdrawn if they are, uh, as, as you described, the, someone who's maybe um, taking part in, uh, in, in, in several different platforms, communicating mm. with lots of different people all at the same time, you know, uh, you know, uh, being on They're probably more connected than you and I add together. Yeah. And um, I mean, that, that's, that would, that's not someone who's withdrawn or disconnected, but, you know, they are very much connected um, in that sense. Um, yeah. And I think for that reason, do you, do you think that your work and, and other related work, um, does this kind of um, have implications for how we think about the social and the digital? Because I think still despite a lot of great work being done in, in digital sociology and, and digital humanities and related fields, I think we almost still kind of are encouraged to think of the social as being something that's sort of outside of the digital um, yeah. or, or uh, 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 outside of the, the online world, that that is somehow um, something separate and that the kind of face-to-face interactions are, are real interactions. Um, whereas you know online ones are are somehow uh, less real or less significant. Um, do you think that's something that we need to get away from? Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially for the for for a younger generation that's growing up now, more accustomed to or sort of the you know, more used to the norm of having technologies and using technologies to interact with people. In fact, I think that some 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 research would also support the view that. If a young person or a person in general not connected in the digital world could be somehow being excluded uh, socially uh, in some of the social interactions, especially for young people, for example, keeping up with uh, tr- uh, sort of trends um, in terms of such as fashion uh, or sort of you know topical uh, issues that young people talk about, uh, the consumption also of sort of various types of media such as well as you mentioned like Netflix, YouTube, etc. Sort of like not being part of this conversation can actually in fact be seen as almost antisocial in a way that how we would talk about it in the past, saying someone who would would wouldn't go out and talk to people, and I think these sort of digital interactions also. Uh, almost creeping into our physical uh, and face-to-face interactions also, where face-to-face interaction can also be talking about uh, these things uh, or uh, discussions, uh, content uh, or topics that's sort of happening in the online world. So I think you're very much right saying the digital is very much, I think it's becoming more part of the social as we go forward. And we have to acknowledge that, especially not only in the more sort of conceptual, theoretical sense but also even in the everyday aspects uh, the day-to-day things that we do so a, a typical a brilliant example that i always bring up when i talk about my research is that some of the young people said that they actually prefer talking to the family members that they live with so they're inside the bedroom 
but the family members that live with, through online channels. In, Scotland, in a Scottish example, at least, um, you know, at least half of the participants talk about preferring to talk to their, their parents through Facebook Messenger, even about mundane things like what to have for dinner. Uh, their parents might sort of message them and say, clean up your room. So they actually prefer some of these uh, even uh, digital interactions rather than the face-to-face contacts with some of these very mundane things. And it's very much part of the conversation and in the Hong Kong case also was interesting where some of the young people talk about um, actually the digital platforms was easier for them to talk about sort of more emotional issues um, especially with the parent when talk, talking about sort of something that's you know make them sad um, or think, things that are struggle with etc that actually especially in the Chinese culture where sort of the, the sort of parental communication is not as direct as more conservative, uh, that digital platform actually offer an alternative channel where some of these uh, asynchronous communication actually facilitates more deeper emotional connections. And I think I think that's really needs to be paid more attention to uh, in terms of in academia and in our research. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, I, I wondered, were there other um, differences you found between those two uh, between the cases that you looked at between scotland and hong kong where the where where there um other kinds of cultural differences as to how this kind of this kind of hidden youth uh, phenomenon was, was manifest yeah i think where because because hong kong was such a sort of well-studied case and a case the uh, that case context that have been sort of you know have been sort of prominent in terms of understanding what hidden youth is one of the challenge one of the challenges of studying Scotland was that, A, well, I wasn't even sure that I could find any hidden youth in Scotland since there wasn't any evidence of that. But there is a sort of related term that's very um, uh, prevalent and prominent in the youth studies literature called NEAT, not in education, employment or training. And that's sort of almost used as a proxy for me to find young people who the sort of the, uh, in the sort of policy uh, making landscape or sort of policy community would call these young people as hard to reach, uh, disconnected or disengaged. And that's sort of that aspect of um, not being in education, employment or training much more, much stronger in the in the Scottish context. And that influenced a little bit of my study also, where I looked at a lot of young people who are in the neat situation and not in education, employment training in Scotland. Um, whereas in Hong Kong, I could more sort of specifically look at sort of young people who are sort of more sort of hidden without considering whether they might be uh, like sort of not being engaged in education or train, um, uh, employment training being the first thing. So I think that's one thing different also. Another thing that's different is the sort of landscape about the labor market, especially I mentioned the, the impact of the global financial crisis that had a much huger impact. Uh, much bigger impact in Scotland, whereas Hong Kong actually recovered relatively quickly from the global financial crisis. So around 2014, the unemployment rate uh, is 3.3% in Hong Kong, and the youth unemployment rate is about 10%. Whereas in Scotland, the youth unemployment rate is close to about 20%, and the overall employment rate is around sort of 10, 15% type of rate. So that was a huge difference in terms of the the structure of the labor market or sort of the condition of the labor market was very different where Scotland suffered from much more of a sort of depressed, uh, diminishing labor demand. Whereas Hong Kong, the economy was still sort of, you know, stable and flourishing, but the competitive 
environment in Hong Kong was much sort of stronger. And then some literature describe as a hyper competitive environment where especially young people who are from who leave school early and have low qualifications particularly suffer from getting uh, uh, labor market opportunities or are finding work. And that's why I think that sort of that sort of that contrasting aspects about the different types of sort of more precarious opportunity structures uh, for young people in the two different contexts actually uh, led to a similar situation where young people ended up uh, hiding themselves or sort of locking themselves in a bedroom physically uh, was interesting that these sort, of, these sort of slightly different environmental factors, but still highlighting the precarity and sort of the uh, sort of exclusionary factor for some of the most marginalized young people in our society, that sort of leading to this sort of hidden youth phenomenon and pushing this to, to, to happen almost. Yeah, so that's, that's really clearly put. And I think that analytically is really interesting because like you say, it's, it's, the specifics of the situations would seem quite different um, in those contexts, but the the broader kind of social well uh, social factors of kind of exclusion and uh, and kind of competitiveness and precarity uh, mm-hmm. are present there. And so I, I think you, did you mention earlier that really uh, Japan was perhaps one of the the earlier places where this kind of phenomenon was talked about? It was well, it's been yeah. found the first place that in the whole world. Uh, where this phenomenon is talked about and also you know, gained huge attention, I think, at the time, even from their sort of prime minister equivalent uh, of, of, of Japan at the time. Um, but I, did, I didn't study Japan in the end. Well, practically, well, I wanted to more focus on sort of in depth about Scotland and Hong Kong, sort of yeah. getting into more of the nuances of those two. And also the fact that the Japanese studies so far have all been so focused on the sort of uh, this hidden youth phenomenon or sort of hidden youth um, behavior being a mental disorder. And yeah. that's something that I wanted to stay away from. Yeah. That's, that is, I think it's slightly different from what we're looking at. The, um, well, in the literature, this is sometimes referred to as sort of primary or secondary social withdrawal, where sort of hidden youth, sort of you know, the, 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 the behavior of being hidden could be a result of things like depression, uh, social anxiety, and sort of various uh, types of, uh, of, of mental health issues. And that's what sort of, a, I think, a different group of young people were uh, compared to the ones that are looking at really sort of influence um, and also sort of more explained, their behavior is more, more explained by that precarious aspect of the structural conditions. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's kind of, um that's kind of actually highlighting some of those cultures because uh, when you mentioned about the the um the the needs not in education uh, employment <laughs> or training kind of group as sort of like a way into it in uh, in the the Scotland part of the study it really yeah. made, it made me think about um because I've done some looking into um uh, the, the the platform the forum um 4chan which is you know, yeah quite problematic kind of uh, yeah. uh, zone of the internet <laughs> but that's that 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 neat uh, kind of label is is something that that's been kind of used and repurposed almost as a badge of honor in some contexts mm-hmm. in in uh, within some groups on those kinds of platforms so uh, and of certain people who you know feeling quite kind of um you know disconnected or negative about kind of about society in general and and the position that they're in um but it, yeah and and also that they 
um, the, uh, that that forum in particular is one which um, also takes a lot of kind of um, East Asian uh, cultural influence, I think. Um, yes. And so I mean, the name there's, itself there's some suggests that. <laughs> yeah. It is. And I think, well, what actually one of the more recent studies um, in, in Finland, actually, so that was published uh, in, a, uh, in a journal called Young by some uh, Finnish researchers. Um, they actually, their way in was to, to identify this group of young people online on a forum. It wasn't 4chan, uh, but it was a more general forum, but there was a sort of su a subgroup, almost like a subreddit. Um, of group who did themselves identify as socially withdrawn young people, or about more specifically hikikomori, which is, which is the Japanese word uh, for hidden youth, basically. Wow. Um, and that was very interesting because that actually did not, uh, that equivalent or socially did not exist in Scotland. Uh, and if so, is a very sort of small, small number of people that I haven't sort of come across. Um, but that was sort of interesting way of thinking about sort of this sort of cultural influences also, because the, the fact that the, in this fin, forum in Finland, using a Japanese word that they, they most identify with um, in terms of, of, them, uh, of their behaviors or sort of, you know, who they are. Uh, it's something for us to think about also that sort of these sort of uh, almost transfer uh, of these terminologies across cultures and what that might mean similarly or differently in different contexts yeah yeah i think there's a lot of still a lot of, probably a lot of unpacking to be done there but that's yeah mm. that, that's really fascinating and i think um um it, again it's something which is probably not been looked at um as much as it is as much as it needs to be and related to the fact that actually a lot of these cultures have not been properly taken account of and i think we see that in a in a fairly kind of obvious way, uh, as you were saying when uh, uh, a little bit earlier about that, actually, if people, um, particularly young people, are not engaged digitally and online and are not kind of connected to some of these kind of cultural forms or uh, or, or texts, then they, they start to feel isolated. But at the same time, actually, a lot of the most prominent, uh, culturally prominent um, uh, things, uh, phenomena which are which are happening and, um, online, whether that's in terms of, kind of stuff on YouTube or on, in kind of gaming culture or whatever, is yeah. not, it, there is almost no mainstream awareness of it at all um, yeah. um, by people uh, usually of an older generation or kind of in mainstream media who don't know who the kind of the celebrities are, they don't know um, the, the memes, they don't know the kind of the cultural things that are going on uh, and yeah. so they are getting overlooked in a generally in culture, but I think also to some extent in, in, in academic work as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the most sort of recent examples I come across is the, the prominence of K-pop in the youth culture in the UK yes. becoming so prominent uh, that I think for majority of rest of the non-younger generation in the UK won't even know what that means. No. <laughs> But I think the sort of I think that's also highlights an interesting thing about the digital age. Much as we want, we might want to stay away from the word globalization and all that. But it's that sort of the digital platforms really facilitate this, uh, or if not encourage this kind of cross-cultural. Um, uh, I think of the word fertilization, but I think of a better yeah. word for this. But yeah, so sort of cross-cultural exchange. Uh, of media content, of ways. I mean, even in Hong Kong, for example, people talked about using similar types of uh, not only devices, so things like you know iPhones, Samsung smartphones, etc., 
but also in terms of the platforms like Facebook, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp. There are some Chinese version of these platforms, uh, such as Weibo, uh, WeChat, which uh, were much more sort of uh, popular in China or people who are sort of, you know, Chinese people abroad who use these platforms, but they still probably still use some of these sort of global big tech companies type of platforms, or at least the Chinese platforms are somehow based on those also. Um, so, and that's something really, I think sociologically is really interesting as well, that somehow we're getting more similar or actually there's more sort of dominance of these, of these big tech platforms uh, in the way that we live our daily lives. Yeah, but, uh, but and of course, as you've kind of identified, this gets, I suppose, kind of manifest or, or used in different ways by different groups of people. Um, um, but but what is definitely clear um, from what you've been saying, what other people say is is that it, these are heavily integrated with our lives and uh, mm. and we need to take account of how that how, how that works and, and how that works differently for different people, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think even among the, the hidden youth group that I was trying to suggest and also that they use different platforms in different ways, not only in the different contexts, so sort of, you know, Hong Kong people might use sort of uh, some of the platforms different differently than Scottish people, such as uh, things things like the, the, the online gaming system. They use that slightly differently um, as well, sort of, for example, one of the interesting things that came out was about sort of the precaution um, or sort of online safety aspects of this, where Hong Kong young people talk a little bit more about meeting people online. And actually, uh, the, these are, bear in mind, these are hidden youth that one, for, for example, a couple of people actually mentioned they, they met these online friends and then actually met up with them in the sort of so-called real world or the physical world um, to go to what in Hong Kong called internet bars, where there's sort of almost like a, um, almost like internet cafes equivalents uh, in the sort of Western context, but with high spec computers com specifically for gaming. And one normally goes to sort of midnight up till in the early morning that they meet, they play games at home, M meet up maybe once every six months or so to play online games together face to face in these internet bars and then go home again and live their separate lives and then play and then see each other again in the online world when they go back to their bedroom. And, and I think that was, but whereas in the Scottish context, so most young people are saying that they would never meet up with people right. uh, online, even online friends that they consider as best, their best friends, people that they talk to every day. They were saying that had a much more sort of caution towards actually this crossing between sort of the online friends and the, and the real world friends. Mm. Yeah. That, that, that's really interesting. Actually that, that how you just, described um in the hong kong context like uh, kind of made me think about um academics um squirreling away in their in their offices and then <laughs> meeting up once every six months at a conference or something like this yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely i mean exactly I, th I think it is you know i think we might tend to think that young people are more likely to be sort of using uh, these digital devices in their bedroom shutting themselves in all the time much as this seems like a plausible um, imagination about young people's lives. Actually, I think it's happening in every day. As much yeah. as like you know, us academics, I'm, I'm like always checking my emails when I go between places on buses. People might be you know reading news about football, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, it's it's just so integrated into daily lives in ways that we might not even realize. Yeah, 
Um, Mark, that's been so fascinating. Thanks for talking to me. Um, Thanks, Chris. And um, I'll, I'll just uh, say to the listeners, if they want to see, um, I- I'll post some links to your um, to how people can find more information about you and your publications. Um, but if people want to follow you on Twitter, I think you are at uog underscore underscore Mark Wong W O N G. So uh, people can follow you on Twitter, but I'll I'll put links out to that on on the um, on the pod, podcast description and on my uh, uh, blog as well. Um, but it's been great talking to you, and I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing where your research goes next as well. Excellent, thanks, Chris, and thank you for inviting me to join this wonderful podcast. No problem. Um, thanks, I'll uh, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll uh, be in touch to let you know uh, when it's there. Out. Sure, bye. brilliant. Okay, thanks. yeah, yeah. Okay, bye, bye. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that chat between me and Mark. Uh, as ever, I'm very keen to get any uh, feedback or comments you've got on this discussion or on the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Chris H. Till. Uh, you can uh, get to my blog which uh, by searching for this is not a sociology.blog. Um, and you can subscribe to the podcast through Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. So thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time.